The old pilot's plain tales. Amy, wonderful Amy. The 20s and 30s were times of radical societal changes, particularly in the freedoms that women then demanded. The suffragette movement, the contributions made by women in the First World War and other dramatic events had clearly shown that forward-looking women were no longer going to be content with the roles that men decided they were suited for. Aviation played its part in allowing women the freedom to tackle challenges that were previously denied to them and although that fight for equality continues to this day, it is right that we celebrate those early pioneers who took to the air and led the way. These early female pilots, and I've dedicated several tales to telling their stories, had to face not only the difficulties and dangers of flying such early aircraft, only a few decades after the Wright's first powered flight at Kitty Hawk, but the prejudice of their male counterparts and indeed society in general. Those who held them back, however, were balanced in some part by the enormous support these early aviators received from the general public. They were adored and their daring achievements followed by vast numbers of ordinary people, amongst which would be a growing number of women determined to follow their lead in questioning the societal norms that had previously held them back. One such woman was born in Kingston-upon-Hull, usually shortened to just Hull, which lies in the East Ridings of Yorkshire, England. Its origins go back to the 12th century, and it had developed as a market town, with a strong bent towards fishing and whaling, as well as being an industrial metropolis. She grew up in a middle-class family, the eldest of three daughters, born to a prosperous fish merchant. All the signs were that Amy Johnson wasn't going to follow the expected path. At school, she gained something of a reputation for being rebellious, and she went on to attend the University of Sheffield, where she was awarded a BA in economics. Whilst her first jobs were entirely conventional, her hobbies weren't, particularly after she met the rather eccentric comedian and actor Will Hay. Hay was well known in Britain on screen and stage and starred in many British comedy films of the period such as Oh Mr Porter. He was also an accomplished pilot and took it upon himself to teach young Amy Johnson to fly. In 1929, Amy was qualified and gained her pilot's licence with the London Aeroplane Club but unlike many of her male counterparts, found it impossible to gain employment as a pilot. As a result, and with a fierce determination to make a success of her new chosen career, she gave up her job to work in the club's hangars. Her father wrote to her employer, Mr Woods, stating, It is a matter of personal regret that Amy has found it necessary to sever her connection with your office. It appears she has got a great interest in aviation and feels that her career lays in that direction. Personally, I would have wished it otherwise, but nowadays, I'm afraid, parents' ideas do not count for much. Soon, Amy was assisting the mechanics and working on aircraft, which eventually became her full-time job. 
Suitably prepared, she put herself in for the examinations necessary to qualify as a ground engineer, which she passed in December 1929. She became the first woman to receive such a licence from the Air Ministry and for a time was the only woman in the world in possession of a valid ground engineer's licence. Such was the novelty of her achievement that it came to the attention of the popular press which elevated her into the public's eye-line. It was on the back of this wave of publicity that Amy decided to attempt a mammoth flying feat. The Australian pilot, Bert Henkler, had recently completed a record-breaking solo flight from England to Australia, which he had accomplished in 15 and a half days. Amy wanted to better that feat. Incredibly, the longest flight that she completed to date was a 180-mile trip from Stag Lane Aerodrome in North London to Hull. Now she was contemplating a solo journey of 11,000 miles across some of the most remote and dangerous terrain imaginable. Getting the financial backing she needed was a considerably longer task than the flight itself, but eventually she won support from the Castrol oil magnate, Lord Charles Wakefield, and despite his earlier reservations on the direction of her life, her father... For £600, she bought a second-hand gypsy moth biplane and then set about tackling the complicated task of securing petrol and oil supplies along her route. Her journey is perhaps best summed up in her own words. I have planned to fly alone to Australia for some time now. What an adventure! I'm feeling so full of vim. I circled this date after I whispered my plans to a journalist and he shared them with the world, so there was no going back. My plan is a simple one. Cross Europe in a straight line through Belgium, Austria-Hungary, to Constantinople and then Syria, then following Bert Hinkler's record-breaking route onwards to Australia. Final destination, Darwin. Her aircraft, named Jason after her father's firm, was new to her. I barely know Jason yet. We will soon become acquainted as I replenish the petrol in his gravity tank when in flight, all by hand, which was so much effort and made me feel quite unwell. I imagine I shall eventually thank Jason for this essential task. It will keep me awake across the long hours of travel. On the 5th of May 1930, Amy set off from Croydon Aerodrome on her epic endeavour. Initially, there wasn't much interest in the journey, with only her father and a few others to wave her off. But by the time she had reached her first major stop in Karachi, she had achieved worldwide fame. I wanted no fuss at Croydon Airport today, she said. I merely wanted to be on my way. Her journey was epic. Croydon to Vienna, to Constantinople, to Aleppo, to Baghdad, Bandar, Abbas, Karachi, Jansi, Calcutta, Rangoon, Bangkok, Singora, Singapore, Java, Surabaya, Atambua, to Darwin. Her diary is full of revelations. Crossing the Taurus Mountains, she wrote, 
I turned a corner, straight into a bank of thick cloud. I pushed Jason's nose down at great speed, and leaving the cloud behind, we were heading straight towards a wall of rock and almost certain death. That I am writing this diary tonight is a miracle beyond words. We swerved, Jason and I, we swerved and survived. Crossing the Euphrates, she entered a desert area. We hit some thermals, but I had no idea, as we were bumping along, where we were. I assumed, looking down, that this was unsurveyed desert. A sandstorm, too. When Jason plunged, he dropped like an elevator, cut loose from its cables. My goggles were covered in sand, and as I shook it away in order to see, we were just feet from the ground. Landing, Amy jumped from the cockpit covered the engine from blowing sand, chopped her little aircraft with her luggage and sat on the tail to hold it down whilst the storm blew out. It wasn't long before misfortune overtook her. Today we followed the black sand of the Sin Desert into India, heading for Allahabad, where the Ganges and the Yumana rivers meet. I was looking for a fort that would announce our arrival. Suffice to say, we were told that we were not in Allahabad at all. We were in Janzi, a few hundred miles from where we intended to land. I turned Jason around and off we went, but we were forced back here. My decision to avoid the first place of landing here proved to be a most terrible choice, as I located an army base from the air. Jason's engine was struggling, but the decision had been made. We bumped onto the parade ground, catching bushes and careering towards army barracks before Jason's wing tore through a notice board. Poor Jason came to a halt, jammed between two buildings, his wing damaged. The army colonel, who viewed my terrible landing unfold in front of his home, had sent for petrol and quenched my thirst with a supply of cold drinks. Exhausted, I have directed repairs from a camp bed. Worse was to come on the leg between Calcutta and Rangoon. The rain was unfathomably heavy. We had to land, and I intended to do so at Akyab Aerodrome. Yet, when we flew over Akyab, I saw that it was flooded. So, onwards... We hit thick cloud and continued to travel through the whiteness, knowing that mountains were below. We dropped to follow a railway line, which I knew was there, as I had marked it on my maps and notes, and flew so low that we were almost touching rooftops. I knew there was a racecourse close to the railway, and that the vast expanse of land would provide a perfect landing spot, but daylight and fuel were running out. I realised too late, with people waving from buildings, that we were aiming for the Institute's football pitch. It was surrounded by trees, so there was no pulling out or possibility of retreat. We sped past two goalposts and straight into a trench. Such an almighty crunch! I could not hold back. I sobbed and sobbed. The damage was considerable, but by good fortune she had crashed at an institute for engineers, 
who went to work with a will, repairing splintered wood, making new parts and sourcing more fabric for the wing. For my part, I attached Jason's spare propeller and cleaned the engine of the mud that had been lodged there by our little adventure in the ditch. Amy knew, however, that the delay might be critical. I still fear these repairs could take some time and that Hinkler's record will remain his. In an attempt to take a shortcut, Amy nearly ended up in the sea. Today I was lost over the Java Sea, having chosen to cross it as I reached the island of Banka. While the weather had looked fine ahead, it was not long before heavy rain and thick clouds forced me to fly as low as possible. This was more violent a place than I have ever encountered, unable to go on, equally unable to turn back or stay still. I circled round and round. I was more terrified and shrieked aloud for help. I didn't want to die that way. I knew that thousands of hungry sharks were waiting with mouths wide open. Unexpectedly, the sun returned and a rainbow seemed to lead her out, but another landing, this time amongst the fields of a plantation, caused more damage. After gluing Jason together with sticking plasters, another long sea crossing faced her. Exhaustion was taking its toll, and everything seemed to be difficult. Jason's engine was faltering, and Amy felt ashamed that after all her efforts, the record she hoped for wouldn't be hers. But finally, the last flight of her momentous journey was over. We are here. We have made it. We have flown from England to Australia. Jason and I have triumphed, and on Empire Day of all days. We landed at 3.30pm after 20 days of hard work and endeavour. That last leg had been a long sea crossing, but Shell Oil had positioned a tanker halfway across should she ditch. I flew over the tanker three hours into the flight and swooped down to take in its name, the Forus. The crewmen on board cheered and waved me on. Finally, I saw Melville Island, a small dot at first, growing larger, I egged on Jason by slapping the side of his fuselage. I stood up and cheered myself. I cried and laughed alternately until I picked up the Point Charles lighthouse and turned towards Darwin. We arrived at Fanny Bay and, from overhead, picked out the landing spot amid a sea of faces looking skywards in our direction. And then, and then I cried... Tears of joy, of excitement, of every possible emotion. I cast aside my goggles and jumped from Jason. In Australia at last. And now I'm heading to dance the night away. We did it. Jason and I, we did it. By now this young girl's bravery, skill and tenacity had captured the world's imagination and her name would be forever written amongst history's most famous pilots. She would receive the Harmon Trophy, a set of three international trophies awarded to the year's most outstanding aviator and on her return home a huge crowd would greet her arrival. 
She was driven along the streets of London in an open-top car through a crowd of a million people who lined the parade route. Her country would make her a commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire, and her beloved de Havilland gypsy moth, Jason, would be recognised with a place of honour in London's Science Museum. Amy would continue to make remarkable flights, flying from London to Moscow in just 21 hours, before crossing Siberia and setting a record time for a flight from London to Tokyo. She would set a record time for a flight from London to Cape Town, take part in air races and much, much more. The Second World War put a stop to such events, but Amy stayed flying, first as a target for searchlight and anti-aircraft gunnery training, and then in the Air Transport Auxiliary, delivering new aircraft from their factories to RAF airfields. It was during one such flight that she died. The circumstances aren't clear, but in 1941 she was on a flight in very poor weather and miles off course, delivering an airspeed Oxford to RAF Kidlington. What brought her down is unknown, a lack of fuel, friendly fire from British gun batteries or perhaps enemy fire from a German fighter, There are, unsurprisingly, other wilder conspiracy theories, but what we do know is that she parachuted into the freezing cold River Thames near a former ferry boat, HMS Hazelmere. She called out her name and they threw her a rope, but she couldn't hold on to it. She was drawn down into the propeller and disappeared, never to be seen again. The ship's captain had jumped in to help her, but with no luck. They dragged him out unconscious, and he subsequently died of hypothermia. Although the exact reasons for her death will always be a mystery, Amy Johnson remains an inspiration to generations of women who seek to follow her into her exciting world of aviation. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find out about that at airlinepilotguy.com. Plane Tales is also a standalone podcast. If you're interested in helping out because you enjoy the show, we'd be very grateful if you could leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Many thanks for listening. Amy. Wonderful Amy, how can you blame me for loving you?